The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. Another week steps of a bear market. Ah, what an opener. Right? My friends, it's all about reality. And if you want to deal with reality, extend your time horizon. Uh, indeed, it's a long movie. Don't worry about the individual scenes. Enjoy the entire movie. Indeed, there'll be ebbs, there'll be flows, there'll be peaks, there'll be valleys. Uh, you'll get through it. And uh, how? Just hang with us. Each and every Saturday night, we're going to help you get through it. Uh, how do we get through it? We deal with the smartest men we can find. Mr. Sandy McIntyre, he's a retired strategist, um, spending much of his time now on philanthropy, uh, Locte Foundation, uh, he spends a lot of time with, uh, formerly of CI Investments and uh, former vice chairman and uh, at Century Investments uh, since August of uh, 2000, right through to 2018. Uh, Jack and I have had the privilege of spending uh, many a fireside chats with Sandy McIntyre and always find it to be very, very enlightening. Uh, Sandy, you know, in, in, in good times, everyone's a hero. But in bad times, I find that the uh, seasoned truly do prevail. Uh, here we are in the middle of another another bear market. Um, you're still standing, my friend. Uh, please share with the crowd, if you don't mind, how many bear markets uh, you have worked through and witnessed, uh, and, and truly what what the lesson learned is from coming through bear markets. Oh well. I, can't, I actually don't know how many I've lived through. I haven't counted it. Um, but they do happen relatively frequently. I would say the one that was the most important for me was the 1987 bear market. Um, it was a period of time when the stock market was rising rapidly while interest rates were also rising rapidly. And eventually, um, in September of 87, the stock market began to look at valuations and broke. Um, it was a correction bear market that was primarily driven by the derivatives market. And um, this, this is a period when portfolio insurance was um, very popular. And... Uh, we we found that the, the the downdraft became a self-sustaining downdraft as derivatives positions unwound, um, and all 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 stocks behaved like the index. Uh, in 2019, uh, after the sell-off in late 2018. I decided to do a little statistical exercise and said, look at, okay, what happens if you do something after a severe sell-off? Um, what are your outcomes, 252 trading days, so that's a year out, if, for example, you take money off the table um, at this point in the market correction? What I found was that in order to measure the speed of the downdraft, you have to measure the distance 
between where the market is today and some measure of where it's been over the past uh, few months. And for that, I use the 200-day moving average. Uh, earlier this morning, the spot market is 12.8% below the 200-day moving average. And when you look at market history since 1953, over 90% of the time when the market is this depressed, 252 trading days out, you're making significant profits. This is not a time to be taking money off the table. And indeed, if you're like me and you have tactical cash, this is a time to be getting a bit interested in sniffing out where the opportunities are. Um, do you believe the market has another 10 to 15% down leg uh, in front of it? Um, and if so, are you better off to deploy money today? If you're a client calling Jack and Wolf with, say, a million dollars, do you put it to work today? Or do you wait till the fall and deploy it in and around that you know, seasonal week period, middle, middle of October? Or do you split it and do half now, half later? Um, you, you would split it uh, and do part now, part later, because um, you, you never have certainty of outcome. Uh, I, I, one of the things that you want to keep in mind is that there are three seasonally weak months of the year, and the, these repeat regularly. They are February, May, and September, with major market bottoms most often occurring in October and either February or March. Um, you very rarely get major market bottoms in June, July. So I, I would expect that we're going to get a bounce from here. Um, is it a tradable bounce for traders? Probably. Uh, when I look at the big five stocks down in the United States, they all have very similar charts. Um, you know, they, they all fell off a cliff at the same time. Well, these five stocks are over 20% of S&P index weight. And you're, they're using, all, you're talking about the FANG stocks, sorry, Sandy. You're talking about the FANG yeah. stocks, the Apple and Facebook, right? You're looking at Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Amazon yeah. Apple. And right. uh, they all look like they're trying to find a base here. Um, you're, you're not getting lower lows. And uh, I would be looking for some sort of bread to be evolving through the market. Um, the, the, the chatter and people have convinced themselves that um, we have a recession in hand on the back of Fed tightening. Um, there have been numerous times when we've had Fed tightening, people begin to discount a recession, but we don't get a recession. And, um, you know, 1987 is a great example of that. You had the Fed tightening. Um, people became convinced of a recession. Didn't get it till 1991. So, you know, that's four years later. Lots of time. Uh, I, I don't get the sense that the Fed wants a recession. Uh, I think they get the sense that they'd love to see some of the inflation data turn and um, food inflation, commodity inflation is almost always cyclical. You will have a supply response to higher prices. 
Um, the food inflation is going to be tough this year. Um, you know, we talked about this in the last call. Uh, Ukraine is a very major exporter of uh, wheat, and um, it's blockaded. You can't get last year's crop out. And if they get a crop this year, it's going to be tough to get it out. So, so some of this inflation from the commodity side is, is going to be embedded for more than a year. Um, the, the inflation that Volcker was dealing with back in the early 80s was wage push inflation. Mm-hmm. And um, as the economy has changed and the nature of work has changed, uh, we're seeing wage push inflation as demand for labor has pushed up, uh, pushed up uh, wages. But uh, if we're going into a bit of a cyclical downturn, that should show up in the, in the wage data. Um, I, I, I'm from Missouri and managing to an inflation to, to a recessionary outcome. Um, they're very rare. And your most likely outcome is a slowdown in growth, but continued growth. We're speaking with Sandy McIntyre, a retired strategist, uh, former capital market strategist with a CI investment, uh, a man that's worked on Bay Street for roughly five decades, continues to be very passionate, of course, about the markets and spends a lot of time uh, being a man of philanthropy. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, we're going to check in with Jack when we get out of the break. Uh, he's got a few questions for Sandy McIntyre lined up. And uh, get right to it, my good friends. Please stay tuned. It's Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Well, baby used to stay out all night long. She made me cry. She done me wrong. She hurt my eyes open. That's no Market. Hello, Bear Market. Don't worry, pal. We'll play that song again. Bear Market will come again. Bull Market will come again. It's part of the process of investing, my good friends. Uh, you cannot avoid bear markets the same way. You, if you want, and if you want all the bull market move, you have to actually be there at the bottom. The only way to be there at the bottom is to ride it down into the bottom and watch the turn. Uh, my math tells me next year is going to be an incredible year. We've got to muddle our way through this year. Sandy McIntyre already made the point loosely that you don't sell after it's down. The probabilities of, of uh, being able to re-enter profitably uh, is greatly reduced. Own good businesses. Perhaps rotate. Make sure you're in the right sectors and the right space. And, you know, if you're overweight tech stocks, I pity you. But if you're listening to the show, you wouldn't be overweight tech stocks. No. Jack and I have always spoken about a barbell balanced, diversified approach. You can have techs when they're in favor, and at the same time when tech's in favor, have a smidgen of oil. 
And perhaps when oil is zero, just a little bit, keep your toe in the water because when it turns, you want to be there. And you, once you have a little bit, you can build around the position. That's exactly what we did. We built around our little oil position while our techs were rallying and sold the techs down and built out oil a little bit further. Um, again, we're, we're, we're just trying to play the averages, hit singles and doubles, singles and doubles. Uh, Sandy McIntyre, uh, I think you built your career around uh, singles and doubles. And every now and then, you, you likely hit it out of the park as well, just to add a, a cherry on top of the uh, dessert, so to speak. But again, we are in the middle of a bear market. Uh, we spoke about selling uh, down at these levels not being very, very wise. Uh, Jack, you and I were talking about uh, some of the retail numbers uh, coming out and uh, the blame uh, for, for the weakness in Costco, Walmart this week wasn't the, the Wolco effect so much about wage push inflation, although wages are very, very tight, but more supply st- supply constraint issues. Uh, speak to that a bit, if you don't mind, Jack, and then uh, parlay that into a couple of cues for our friend Sandy. Yeah, thanks, Wolf. And it really goes to a, a traditional slowdown. We saw uh, Walmart and Target, uh, they had some supply chain issues uh, that were of concern. Uh, the market took that as uh, inflationary, but uh, if you really dig into it and you look at uh, the inventory build, uh, these are the largest retailers in the States. Uh, they are the ones that get the inventory first because they're priority customers. Um, and you're starting to see inventory build both in Walmart and in Target, which from my perspective as an equity investor in this environment, it's telling me that inflationary pressures, those supply chain issues that the market is so focused on right now, are starting to abate because these retailers have more in stock than they actually want. So I was wondering if, uh, Sandy, if you could maybe speak to that uh, traditional inventory build and a traditional uh, recession as opposed to what we've had the last couple of times, the last two recessions we had, uh, 2008, obviously, uh, housing crisis, a great financial crisis in the U.S., and then we had the COVID crash in 2020 where we shut down the economy. Maybe you could speak to a, a more traditional um, slowdown, which I think we're seeing right now, uh, maybe at an accelerated rate, but it's, you know, Fed raising rates, trying to slow down the economy, trying to get inflation under control. Um, maybe speak to what asset classes uh, you would expect to, to benefit in this type of an environment. The... The type of environment that you're describing, Jack, is uh, really best visualized through the uh, Purchasing Managers Index data. And the best way to drill down is to look at the inventories data, um, where they're reporting on how rapidly they're rising and falling. You can get cycles in this data that run roughly 40 months long. And um, that data was all peaking earlier this year. So I would expect to see an unwind over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, Does this mean that we're going to get a recession? Absolutely not. Um, In long cycles, you can have two or three of these, what I'd, I'd call typical inventory cycles within the longer economic cycle. Uh, But while you're going through the unwind, and I've talked about this many times in the past, what you want to own are the structures of everyday life. Um, Each family behaves somewhat differently, but we all eat food, we all consume natural gas to heat our homes, we all use electricity. most of us uh, drive a vehicle, so you know there's gasoline or diesel going into it. Um, we'll 
continue to shop. Maybe we defer a large um, appliance purchase, but uh, a lot of the shopping is is actually fairly non-discretionary. Your clothes wear out. Uh, you can you know go around with holes in them for a while, but you're eventually going to want to replace them. Um, the, I'm, I'm of the view that when a target gets sold off heavily, um, you start sniffing around it. Um, this is not a permanent impairment of their business. Uh, it is a disappointment within a current period. I would say an investors tend to extrapolate those out a little too far out into the future. Like you said, if you you know discount uh, the cash flow of uh, a company like Target or Walmart to have a couple bad quarters because of an inventory build, it uh, doesn't really change the dynamic of the, the business and being one of the top two, three uh, retailers uh, in the U.S. These are really good management teams. No, absolutely. Uh, and like you said, if those PMIs, purchasing manager index, if they are starting to roll over, um, that is actually a good thing for the uh, for the market because what we need to see is uh, the economy and the market realize that you know the Fed is the market right now is pricing in a lot of uh, aggressive Fed hiking, meaning interest rates going higher very rapidly. If inventories start to uh, increase and inflation expectations start to roll over, maybe the uh, the central banks can be a little more bit more accommodative than the market has priced in. But uh, the other thing that I see, and Wolfgang and I have talked about this a lot, is um, we talk about all the asset classes being down this year, you know, Canadian real estate, uh, stocks, uh, fixed income, especially the long duration government bonds. Um, U.S. dollar has been a star, right? It is still considered a safe haven asset. But uh, alongside that, it's causing uh, stress in the market, I believe, um, basically depriving, especially some of those um, uh, emerging markets. They have a lot of uh, debt denominated in U.S. dollars. And I would say that the Fed right now is starving the, the global markets of liquidity, cash that needs to run. What, what's your view on the strength of the U.S. dollar, especially versus global currencies, uh, and especially since uh, versus, uh, I would say, the yen as well, because that seems to be a uh, one that currency traders focus on. Yeah, the, the yen-U.S. dollar cross um, is directly related to the carry trade. Uh, you can earn no income, essentially, in Japan. So you, you convert out, go into U.S. dollar-denominated bonds, um, and uh, when you get a flight to safety, um, yen will spike against the U.S. dollar, and bond yields will also spike as people are selling stuff off. Uh, I haven't seen any evidence of a material spike in carry trade type assets. Uh, so I, I don't get the sense that that is a root problem that we're dealing with. Um, on currencies, I'm not a fan of playing currencies one way or the other. Um, my view is you more often get it wrong than you get it right. Um, we live in Canada. Uh, we have a lot of our expenses in U.S. dollars, and some of us uh, go down to the states periodically. So we have a we sort of have an ingrained need for U.S. dollars. Um, I, I I would be sort of of the view that it's going to be hard to take the U.S. dollar down when it is the high yield currency um, available to sophisticated investors. So. I'd, I'd be I'd be 
sort of bias towards the U.S. dollar stays stable to strong. That that is the one thing that Wolfgang and I we don't uh, we don't trade currencies as you said, but uh, the one thing that we do is we still like to own. I'm gonna say right now we own about half of our um, equity portfolios in U.S. dollars, and it's just like you said, it's a, it's a natural hedge against very difficult times right now. So when there's stress in the market, it tends to be a flight to safety. So for a Canadian investor, um, that portion of our equity uh, portfolios, uh, we consider it a bit of a stabilizer. And you know, the U.S. dollar is still the reserve currency. It is the high-yielding currency right now on the board, um, and it is a flight to safety. So although the markets are down, we're, get, we're getting a bit of a pickup on the U.S. dollar side of things. So um, as you said, it's difficult to speculate in currencies, but um, you know, and when you own U.S. dollars, you actually get multiple U.S. currencies because, or multiple global currencies because those U.S. Um, stocks, whether it's Apple, Google, Amazon, they have multiple currency bases where they generate revenue from. So it's a natural st- stabilizer in our portfolios. And I think that uh, it's done as well over time, not to trade it, but just to tactically shift around. Hey, Sandy, I want to ask you something. It's Wolf here. Um, doing a lot of chart work um, recently, uh, just going through hundreds upon hundreds of charts. Uh, and, and it's remarkable because so many charts look the same, uh, which is awful. Um, from the from the mega cop stocks, you're talking about the apples and the Facebooks. They just keep flirting with their previous low set in the last 52 weeks, and you know directionally look lower. Uh, the U.S. banks look identical to the tech stock. Uh, the the software names, of course, are even more torquey to the downside. Uh, sector after sector, I, I, I find virtually no green shoots, with the exception of. Some insurance stocks, uh, Intact Financial as an example, uh, here at home. Um, Chubb in the United States, that chart looks really, really clean. Uh, the oil stocks, of course, all look extremely clean. And some of the utility names uh, look like they have clean charts. So basically, two and a half sectors out of 11 have decent-looking charts. Everything else looks, oh, my goodness me. Yet the businesses themselves, fundamentally, haven't changed that much in 12 months, you know, Apple included. I don't see any less Apple users. Uh, I, I see a recycle uh, phase coming at us yet again, uh, and I see Apple selling more services. Uh, and you go down the list, McDonald's would be the same, J&J would be the same, selling more burgers, selling more drugs. Uh, yet the charts, the corrective action that has taken place um, is significant. Um, speak to us about the valuation stretch maybe that we had. Uh, speak to us, you know, perhaps as to uh, margin traders getting uh, knocking out uh, individual investors from their positions unwillingly, um, uh, and and just a whole revalue uh, of equities as interest rates are rising. I'm going to give you about 90 seconds for that, Sandy. Okay. How can the charts look different when the fashion is for everyone to be an index investor? All stocks need, are going to end up with very similar behavior. And some of the subsectors that you've talked about, insurance, utilities, are almost negligible representation in the S&P 500. Um, They're unimportant to the index. And they're showing signs that they can act a little bit independently from the index. I am not an index investor, which is why I focus on the fundamentals of a business. And when the valuations get to a point where 
it becomes compelling. I will commit cash. So if you think about it, I can go out and buy a 10-year treasury at 2.8%, and I, I will get $2.80 on my investment for 10 years, and I will get no growth on that investment. I can go out and buy the S&P 500 at a 5% earnings yield with a historical growth rate and earnings of 7%. Um, I, can, I can get my head around my long-term return from a decent entry point is going to be eight to nine percent on that investment. And I can get individual stocks within that index that are at earnings yields of seven and a half to 10%. Uh, and I talk earnings yields because as people understand yield, they don't understand PE. Um, 5% of your earnings yield is a 20 PE. A seven and a half percent earnings yield is a 15 PE. A 10% earnings yield is a 10 PE. Um, you know, you, you get the sense of where I'm going with this? 100%. Your better mathematical return is buying compounding at a higher rate. And we've talked about this many times. Learn the rule of 72, learn how compound interest works, and make math your friend. Totally, totally, totally agree. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to say to Jack and I put that in so many presentations about a 40-year uh, investment philosophy. And, and, and when you start compounding, um, the math is actually very boring and uninspiring in the first 5, 10, even 15 years. But, Sandy, the, 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 the rise over run, the slope of line, we're going back now to grade 7, grade 8 math, rise over run. Uh, the slope of the line changes after about 25 years. And, and so we believe that you have to invest steadily and consistently for 25 years till you really see some delicious ripe fruit. And if you can leave it alone for another, another 15 to that 40-year mark I'm talking about, you will have more fruit than you can possibly know what to do with. The same way in Sicily, they have more lemons than you can drink limoncello and avoid the stuff. I think it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, my good friends, Sandy McIntyre, uh, strategist, friend of ours, uh, seasoned, seasoned, seasoned investor. Uh, a real pleasure, uh, Sandy, to spend time with you on Saturday night. I can't thank you enough, sir, for your time. You be safe, uh, be well, and uh, all the best to you. We're going to uh, jump over to Rob Young. Uh, he's a tech analyst uh, with Canaccord. Tech is dead. Uh, what a better person to speak to about the resurrection of the sector than none other than Mr. Rob Young. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Quick break and get right back to the show about money. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Tech analyst, and of course, walking on a bunch of broken glass in his face, I must say. Oh, the bottles have fallen off the shelf. Uh, before we speak to Rob, I will share with you, my friends, lots of Annie Lennox 
being played in Italy. Just came back from a wonderful trip there. Uh, my beautiful bride said, stop talking about the trip to Italy. I can't stop talking about the trip to Italy, my friends. Uh, you know, I will say from a market point of view, uh, there's clues in society you can pay attention to uh, in the world of the arts. To give you some indication from the arts to what the economy is about to do or is presently doing, uh, because, again, it's all part of the collective unconscious of human beings. Uh, fashion and what you do with your money are connected. The music you listen to and what you do with your money are collected. Uh, stay with me. There's no theory on Wall Street called the hemline theory. And it went something like this. When people are feeling good and optimistic, uh, hemlines on ladies' dresses went up. And when things were getting a little dark and gray, the hemline fell. And, and they, they found it to be quite anecdotally accurate. And I'm going to say the same with color. Uh, in Italy, I saw some beautiful fashion uh, uh, throughout and some great vibrant colors this year. Green seems to be a big color. Multiple prints are big colors. And I'm speaking about ladies' and men's wear. Uh, a new brand being launched or a brand being launched called Pucci uh, rolled into town with their models. Bright vibrant colors on men and women. In fact, there's a pair of men's slippers, uh, these furry, bright yellow slippers. Oh, they were bad. Uh, so uh, I share with you, Jack and I believe that come the fall of this year, the market perhaps will have made a bottom and set the stage for better days into 2023. Uh, but as we're walking on glass, Rob Young is looking to find out which bottle didn't break and then he can pick up and put back on the shelf in the land of technology. Uh, Rob, just speaking with Sandy McIntyre, and I was sharing with Sandy my technical work in the last couple of weeks, looking at company and sector after sector, chart after chart, and I'm seeing really nothing but weak charts, including the generals that are now beginning to fall. Uh, the, the big five names that, that are representing some 20% of the S&P 500. Uh, I'm talking about Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, uh, and probably Netflix or Microsoft or both uh, in that category. Those names held up forever. Money was flowing into them forever. And lastly, the generals tend to fall when you go into battle. And so you are seeing weakness in, in, in those very darling names. Um, has any bottle not been smashed in the world of tech, Rob? Uh, and if, if so, if everything's smashed, can you put back the pieces at least, get some crazy glue and fix any of these bottles? Uh, speak to your sector, my good friend, and welcome. Hey, good morning. Yeah, it's been a 2022 has not been kind to the tech sector, that's for sure. Um, I mean, there's still lots of worry out there. Um, the first stage of the, uh, the declines in tech have mostly been multiples um, because the companies themselves, there's isolated examples of companies that have had, you know, a rough time. Uh, we had Cisco had, you know, some bad results last night. Netflix, everyone knows about. Uh, there's been some companies that have had, you know, poor earnings, but for the most part, you know, the performance has been strong. And so, you know, the thing that investors are worried about now is that the second leg of a downturn might be the reduction in estimates in the back half of the year when the macro catches up, right? So, you know, right now inflation uh, is uh, the word we're hearing all over the place. What happens in the back half of the year if the macro gets a little harder, we move into a recession, spending declines, uh, then does that mean that estimates will come down? And then as estimates come down, then valuations come down. So the first part here is multiples, people worrying about what's going to happen. And then, you know, the second half, people are a little bit worried about what may happen. And so, 
you know, uh, the tech sector has seen a lot of outflows, um, people, you know, taking their money out of the sector and putting them in other places. But, you know, in, in these type of times, I mean, the, uh, the, the tagline on these is, you know, flight to quality, you've probably heard that a lot. You know, so there are some stocks that people think of as being durable, have a uh, very strong business model, you know, positive free cash flow, strong balance sheet, uh, business model that's likely to, you know, be just as relevant, you know, two, three years uh, from now as it is today. And, you know, for those that are willing to uh, maybe live through a little bit of volatility here in the short term, you're likely going to be rewarded in the back half uh, of maybe this year at the earliest, uh, but probably more likely, you know, next year. But if you think of like Google right now, you can buy Google for 10 times EBITDA, which is just an amazing valuation for such a fantastic company. Um, there's a lot of really good valuations out there amongst those big companies. I mean, uh, yeah, 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 let's, let's go down the list. Uh, so Google, Google name that Jack and I have held for years. Uh, yeah. Agree, cheaper than chips. Uh, it is a complete utility. A day does not go by when I don't use Google. Uh, and and their, their their business model continues to show top line growth close to twenty percent, uh, earnings growth equally strong. Yeah, there's always a few little uh, flies in the ointment, uh, be it cost per cost per click or uh, acquisition cost, whatever the case may be. But the, the company continues to generate sound results. Uh, what other name beyond Google do you like, Rob, in the land of tech that is is, is sustainable, well, durable? You got to watch Apple and Microsoft. You know, you both you get a yeah. in both of those. They've got enormous buybacks. You know, they've got a lot of cash flow um, and very relevant businesses. Apple had good results. Microsoft, you know, the underlying growth in Azure was um, you know monstrous. And so these are they're very very good companies. They don't trade at the multiple as low as Google. They'd be you know fifteen sixteen times EBITDA. Uh, would be where they trade right now. And so that's still a very good valuation for, you know, a very high quality company like those. And then, you know, at the bottom end, you look at Facebook, right? Facebook's probably the cheapest of that bunch. Lots of regulatory worry, lots of, uh, you know, other issues facing the company because of the way Apple has changed its, um, you know, its advertising framework. But I mean, still a very large company at scale with, uh, you know, profitability, very strong margins. Uh, and uh, and still growth. So there's some good deals to be had for you know an investor that's willing to live through a little bit of volatility in the short run. Yeah, or you know, in our case, uh, you know, we own Apple, we own Facebook, we own Google. Uh, so we're going to stick with our position. But we we are certainly not selling such um, some such such divine companies uh, on sale. No need to. If we have a time horizon, which we do. Uh, but my friends, going to take a quick break and uh, shorten time horizon for a quick commercial break and get right back to Rob Young, uh, one of our senior tech analysts. Uh, he's walking on glass, and uh, well, we're going to help him not cut his feet, or he's going to help us not cut our feet. Uh, either way, we're here to help you. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. I got 
Gotta wake up. Little train ride through Europe. Yeah, I heard that song about eight times a day when I was traveling in Italy. Lovely people, lovely country. I shall go back. Uh, I love my Italian friends that much more. Indeed. Uh, you know, uh, Rob Young, I'll tell you what really surprised me uh, in my travels to Italy, really, really surprised me, is I was eating. Okay, I, I was not surprised that the food in Italy was better, much better than the food here in Canada. So that didn't surprise me. What did surprise me was, and, and they, have, they have twice the population we have here in Canada, um, the, the, the food inflation seems non existent. I was paying for beautiful coffees, uh, one and a half euro, which is two Canadian. Uh, croissants were 250 Canadian. Uh, beautiful sandwiches, beautiful paninis, with beautiful calabres bread, uh, and some, some nice, beautiful uh, locally made salami and some locally made cheese and some fresh produce on top of that. That would run me four euro, uh, which is six Canadian. Uh, in the food court downstairs, 12 Canadian. The salami is cut so thin you can see right through it. Um, please. And, and the calabrese was from three days ago. Okay. So uh, not happening uh, food-wise here in Canada. And we have a long wait. I have my best pizza slice in an airport in, in, in Italy. In an airport. Good golly. Uh, but travel is good. And uh, fascinating, you know. Uh, again, you speak about Apple. Uh, for, for those people who have resisted smartphones, and I don't know how many uh, uh, non-smartphone users exist in Canada or don't exist, whatever the case may be, I think we have probably a penetration rate of 90%, which means 10% of people don't have smartphones. Uh, you can't travel without one. It's, you better know how to use that phone because you ain't traveling without a phone. It's just impossible. It's, everything we are doing, Rob, is on our phone. Everything we do is tech-related. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's incredible, your sector. It gets so much love, and valuations get so stretched. And then Jack says, well, be careful. It's getting pretty pricey. It's getting pretty pricey, and it keeps going two more years. And then, bam, the floor is pulled out and straight down. Uh, so companies that were trading at, friends at home, listen to this, 30 times sales. Sandy McIntyre was talking about P.E. ratios, earnings ratios of companies. This is not about earnings, about Sales. When companies trade at 30 times sales, well, the, the engineers come out and justify it with new math. Uh, and what was the new math? It had to do with gross, rate of, uh, uh, gross margins plus sales growth being over 50%. Uh, was there some new math around that, Rob? Well, it's an old, it's a, it's an old BC uh, rule of thumb. I wouldn't lean on it too much. Uh, it's called the rule of 40 where you, uh, you, you take your revenue growth, uh, recurring revenue growth, and you add the uh, free cash flow margin to that. And the idea is that you, know, you want to get to 40. So if you are a low growth company, uh, the expectation is you have lots of profitability and lots of free cash flow. So the 40 comes mostly from free cash. But if you are a very high growth company, then you're allowed to run with negative free cash. So you know if you're growing 100%, then you can square that circle to 40 with uh, you know, a lot of spending growth and negative free cash flow. And so, I mean, it's just a way to sort of balance the two edges of that envelope. You know, again, going through the earnings in the last couple of days, it, what, what caught my attention was uh, companies that were um, losing, I said losing, less than expected. I, I think almost uh, 100% stocks went up around the earnings report. Oh, they lost less money, thank God. Up goes the stock. 
But then you had companies who came out with better than expected earnings results, but there was a little ointment there, perhaps that their, 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 their forecast for next quarter was going to be a little softer, and the stocks got pummeled. Um, so again, very fascinating. Hey, sorry, Robert. Capital. It's the difference is the cost of capital, right? So if your interest rates are very, very low, then you don't want the money now. You want it later. So you're willing to invest in companies that are growing really fast because they're going to return more capital in the future. However, then interest rates go up and you're like, well, okay, well, that money that I was going to get several years from now is actually worth less now because of interest rates when I discount it back. So actually, I want more of my free crash today. And so the, the market swings from companies that are growing really fast and investing a lot because they're willing to defer that free cash. Now they want it today, and so they're focused on businesses that are you know, profitable and uh, you know, can give you dividends today, you know, buybacks, um, you know, and have uh, you know, better free cash metrics. Uh, Rob, in speaking with the investing community, I'm just curious, um, you know, gr- uh, tech or growth stocks, sort of synonymous with one another, have been in favor for, good golly, eight or nine years uh, mm-hmm. minimum, uh, overarching value all day long. Uh, growth versus value, both growth versus value, has been the mantra for almost a decade. And value investors say, you just wait, my furry little friend, one day we will have our comeuppance. Uh, well, that, that, that one day has come, and for the last probably eight to 12 months, Value has outperformed growth, which means tech is dead. How long do you think uh, value is going to have the uh, upper hand advantage? And or when do you think tech is going to be able to say, we're at bottom's end, we can now you know, see some light? And again, I'm asking you to tell me, what, what are your institutional investors saying to you in terms of their interest level at your sector? Well, in, opinions are all over the place. And really, I think the big opi- uh, the difference of opinions, you know, comes from where you think rates are going to go. Um, if if you're a believer that you know inflation is going to drive rates much higher, then the tech sector is not likely to come back uh, in the short run because it's it's hard for the tech sector to perform well in that type of an environment. But then, uh, you know, when we look at past uh, recessions or past weakness in the tech sector, the, the businesses have never been as um, you know, uh, high performing and low risk as they are today. They, the businesses in the tech sector have strong balance sheet, for the most part have, you know, very proven strong business models, have the ability to generate free cash flow, or they are generating free cash flow. So a lot of these businesses are losing money. They are spending you know, purposefully on sales and marketing to expand their business. And they can, you know, they didn't let up on that. And then you can, uh, you know, you see some profitability under that, which uh, they're spending because the growth is there. And so at some point, I think investors are going to be looking for growth again. And the tech sector is one of the best, if not the best, to turn to if you're looking to growth again. So that's really the question. When, when does growth become, come back in vogue? When are we willing to put a little more risk on the table? Well, and that is, I think, uh, the question uh, du jour. Uh, I know Jack and I are sitting on a position, small one, in CrowdStrike and Zscaler, because uh, we, like, we like net security, and we want to buy the leaders in the space. But uh, unfortunately, we're being uh, proven wrong. Uh, extending our time horizon, I think, will allow us to be proven correct. It's all about time horizon, my friend. Extend it, and all of a sudden, the uh, 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 odds will be tilted in your favor. Rob Young, tech analyst, um, with Canaccord Genuity, a uh, real uh, brilliant uh, individuals to be able to partner with. I real, very much appreciated you spending time with us, Society Night, Rob. Uh, be well, my good friend, and uh, please 
uh, maybe try walking on some hot coals next time. <laughs> Wish you a great weekend. Jack, good job teeing up the guests as always, my portfolio management friend. Uh, I'll speak to you, of course, later in the day. Friends at home, you have yourselves a great weekend. Be safe uh, and tell your friends about High Fire Radio each and every Saturday night right here on 640 Toronto. You've been listening to High Fire Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. High Fire Radio for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.